0: Hey, welcome back to MicroFamous. We've got a really fun topic today. It's one of my favorite things to talk about because it gets right at the heart of the MicroFamous system, which is how to conquer the fear of choosing your first niche. And what does that? What does that mean? What does that entail? What is it really all about? And this came up because, kind of behind the scenes uh, of one of the podcasts that that I'm involved in, I was talking with a friend of mine. He just said, "You know, the way that you've niched down sounds terrifying to me." And uh, the, we got on that topic because I've kind of developed a reputation in my, in my circle as someone who says no more often than yes, right? I'm very clear on at like an agency level, like who we can serve at a high level and who we can't. And I just don't say yes to people who aren't a good fit. Uh, but his comment really caught me off guard because even though I know that it bothers people to like choose a niche and kind of stick with it, I think I take for granted how scary that choice can be. And so I wanted to address a few of those fears and how we can conquer them, right? Because if we're not crystal clear on who the right people are, it makes everything else in the business harder. You know, I did a whole episode a few weeks back on why that choice, that, that choice of who the right people are, who you're going to serve is the first step to becoming micro famous. So you, can, you can check that out from, from deeper content on that specific part of it and kind of how to choose that part. But I want to talk about just the fear of choosing that group of people. So let's start with some mindset and, uh, and reframing around choosing the right niche for yourself. So the first thing is a niche isn't some abstract thing. It's a group of people, right? People who feel underserved by the options that are on the market right now. So when you're choosing a niche, remember that what you're really choosing is a group of people who you can serve at a high level who are neglected, misled, or underserved. Uh, As a musician, I come from a world where the goal is to build a cult following first, and then you hope to break into the mainstream. You know, bands just seem to kind of understand that that's the way it goes. Uh, We lose sight of that in, in this world of coaching, consulting, and thought leadership, but the dynamics are exactly the same. So think about the grunge movement for a second. The reason that bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam, which weren't my favorites, but I do love Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, the reason that all those bands broke out in the late 80s, early 90s is because they were speaking to a generation of latchkey kids, right? Like by definition, they were neglected. That's why they were called latchkey kids to begin with in the 80s. So bands like that, that whole whole movement, that whole music movement basically rode that wave of neglect and angst that people, like a whole segment of young people in our society were feeling, and they wrote it straight to the top of the charts, right? Uh, Not because they were great musicians, although some of them were. It was because they they served a group of people who felt neglected and ignored by the rest of the market. That was the secret. That's why they broke out. So the first step toward conquering the fear of choosing the right niche is to focus less on the the niche, you know, so to speak, but to focus on the people. Are these the right people for you? Can you serve them at a high level? Can you get them results to make a big impact in their life and their business? Then you can move on to the next part, and that is validating the niche. So what you want to do is before you make that choice that, hey, these are the right people I want to serve, this is who I want to serve, I could see myself... Talking to these people for the next five years, you know, before you make that kind of a decision, you want to talk to as many people in that group as possible. You know, call them out on social media and ask, you know, questions. Get their feedback, ask their opinion on the books or the podcasts or the YouTube channels that are already out there that are sort of aimed at what they're looking for. Uh, see what terminology they use. You know, do they call themselves the same thing? Is there a group identity going on? Do they hang out together online or offline? What do they like? What do they not like? and then get a sense of how big the market is. Is there only a few thousand of them? Are there 10,000 of them? Are there 20,000? You know, because part of the whole micro famous point of view is that you can build a great business. I mean, six, seven figures in niches of only 10,000 people. You know, one of the folks that we've launched the podcast for, a a gentleman named Lars Hedenberg, runs a business called Real Estate B-School. It's an, an amazing systematized scalable group coaching business. It's a seven-figure business. He runs that on top of his seven-figure real estate team, right? So he's running $2 million business. But that that coaching business, uh, I think last year we talked about it, it did 2.3 million. And the maximum number of people in that space that can afford what he does and need his particular type of group coaching is only in the neighborhood of 10 to fifteen thousand people there's not that many of them you know it's in the real estate space which a lot of people think of as this huge you know money-making opportunity because there's a million licensed agents get to realize most of them are not active not most i would say A pretty good chunk of those million agents are not active. You know, they have their license for various reasons or they're investors or whatever. Then you get down to the folks that are okay, well, they're licensed, but they're not very productive. So they don't really have the money to pay for group coaching. Like it whittles down really, really fast from a million people down to 10 to 15,000 who can afford his group coaching. But still, built a great seven figure business. And he's not spending all that on paid traffic to get those folks in the door either. There's a lot of profit in there. So you don't need everyone. You know, when you get the messaging right and you're speaking to the right group of people, you don't need like the maximum number of eyeballs on your content to build a successful business. So when you're validating a niche, here's what here's what I would think about. What would it look like if you dominated that group of people in the sense that you are the number one name that came to mind for them, you're the one that got the majority of their business, when they needed what you do, you're the first person that comes to mind, you're the first person they work with, it's you and it's everybody else, right? What would that look like? Um, you know, if you read uh, books like Play Bigger by Chris Lockhead, you know that in any market category, right, which is really just a group of people or a group of companies, the number one player in any market category tends to take about 70 to 75% of the economics of that entire category, especially the profit. The number one player in a market, a specific market category, tends to be the most profitable. Their lead generation costs are lower. They have the most influence. They have the biggest reach, right? It just kind of perpetuates itself. So what would it look like if you took a niche of, let's say, 10,000 people, but you weren't just kind of an also-ran? What if you dominated that group of people and you are absolutely the number one person that they all thought about for whatever you sell whatever you do would that give you the stream of clients that you want if so then you know you've chosen a niche that's big enough and you've eliminated one of the biggest fears that people have about choosing a niche which is you know oh i might i might choose one that's too small the problem usually isn't that it's too small the problem is that you've chosen a niche a lot of times that has too many different types of people in it so you have to keep your messaging broad to attract those different types of people. And as a result, your message doesn't slice through the noise and grab people by the throats and demand attention. It just kind of rolls off people's backs like, Oh, that's nice. You know, you sell coaching your consultants or, you know, or, you know, Oh, great. You coach executives. Awesome. So to 10,000 other people, it just rolls off people's backs. And unfortunately, when people find themselves in that situation where their messaging isn't cutting through the noise. And so everything in the business is sluggish. They tend to go, well, hey, let's start talking about more stuff right? Let's start mixing in like, hey, let's talk about, you know, maybe talk about a little bit of health stuff and fitness and diet and lifestyle and mindset. Let's add all these other things. That way I can broaden my appeal. It's Like, no, go the exact opposite direction. Think about why your message isn't cutting through the noise. And it's probably because you're trying to speak to too many different types of people. They don't all have the same things in common. And so you can't get really, really razor sharp, clear and emotionally compelling to them in your messaging. If you would, and if your niche is big enough, then your message can slice through the noise, right? Your business can be based around what I would call a clear and compelling idea that absolutely cuts through the noise and it gets the attention of the right people and they go, holy cow, I didn't know that existed. Like when kids in the 80s first heard Nirvana, like, holy cow, where did that come from? I've got to, I've got to learn more about those guys, right? That was the response that that got. That's the response that every big band gets when they first break out from the cult following into the mainstream is people go, holy cow, where did these guys come from? Well, they've been there. They just, you just didn't know about them yet. And that's what we're looking for in our messaging and that's why you choose a smaller group of people to work for first and serve first because you can construct a message you can build your business around a clear and compelling idea that is so insanely radically different from everything else that's out there that that group of people looks at and goes holy cow i didn't know that existed that seems like it was tailor-made for me i've got to learn more about that and that's how you break that that sluggishness in the business so The more in-depth research that you do at that validation stage that we're talking about, the more secure you'll be in the process of going after that group of people, building your marketing around that group of people, building your entire business maybe around that group of people. So finally, I want to get to the third way to conquer the fear of choosing uh, your first niche, which is to understand your responsibility to the people that you serve. You know, if you're a coach, a consultant, author, speaker, thought leader, whatever, you have a responsibility that's greater than merely selling something. You have a responsibility to get people results. Right. Taking on clients in a bunch of different niches means that you're constantly outside of your depth, working in spaces where you don't know very well, taking a lot of guesses on what's going to work and what doesn't. You know, and sometimes that works out, but a big chunk of the time it doesn't. Uh, one of the best statements I've ever heard on this is from David Baker in his book, The Business of Expertise, which is amazing. And he basically said this, if you're taking on, you know, always taking on new clients and new industries, just be very clear with yourself that you are charging clients for you to learn on the job. And they probably don't realize that's what you're doing. And that hit me like a ton of bricks, right? If you take on people in new industries all the time, you are charging them for you to learn on the job. And if they're paying you as a consultant, as an expert, they're expecting you to bring the expertise. They don't realize that there's a whole bunch of stuff about their industry that you don't know yet. And they're probably expecting you to know those things. So yes, you got to learn fast, but odds are that's not going to work out a pretty good chunk of the time because there's things about their needs, their market, their customer, whatever. There's things about those clients that you don't know yet, right? And you're potentially doing them a disservice. So if you can't serve a type of person at a high level and get them results, what's the point in taking their payment? What's the point in taking them on as a client? Because when you can't deliver results, the client relationship isn't gonna end well. It won't generate influence for you, it won't generate referrals, and both sides of that transaction are gonna walk away unsatisfied. So when you really internalize that reality, right, that you have to focus on, you have a responsibility to the people you serve, you have a responsibility to get them results. When you internalize that, it helps offset the fear of choosing to work with a certain group of people first and kind of turning down everyone else because you can focus on attracting the people that you serve at a high level and ignore everyone else, right? There's always someone out there to help those other people, right? When I turn somebody away because I don't think my agency is the best fit to launch their podcast, they're not sent back out into the wilderness, right? There's plenty of other agencies that can help other types of people. You know, I don't work with you know, medium sized and larger companies. I don't work with startups. I don't, I don't work with a lot of SaaS companies and stuff like that. Right. I, I tend to work with coaches, consultants, teachers, speakers, thought leaders, right. Those people that are, you know, they have, they have a message, they have something to say, not just something to sell. They have content that can make a big impact on people. They have a lot of potential, but people don't know who they are. And a podcast can, you know, make them micro famous, essentially, in 18 to 24 months, right, that those are the people that I work with, because that's the where we can make the biggest impact, not just on the clients, but also on the people that they help. And that's where I get a lot of my fulfillment from. When I look back at what the agency has done over the last five years, that's where I draw the most satisfaction is the people that we've been able to help put on the map that folks would have never heard of otherwise. So I'm very, very clear on who I can serve at a very high level, and I intentionally ignore everyone else. I don't market to them. I don't speak to them. I don't construct my agency to serve them, because there's someone else that can help them. There's some other agency that can help them. So I focus on that cult following, and so can you. Just like a, a, you know, a band can build a cult following and then break out in the mainstream. So can all of us, right? So remember that just because you choose a group of 10,000 people to serve right now doesn't mean that that won't lead to a scalable business that can serve 100,000 or a million. But don't run before you can crawl. That's what drives me nuts sometimes about working with really aggressive, uh, you know, thought leaders and teachers and speakers and authors. And we, we believe that we can conquer anything. And unfortunately, that's not the reality because other people are involved, right? It's not just about what we can do. It's not about whether we can create the content. It's not about how awesome our personality is or anything like that. Serving other people is about them. Whether the messaging resonates with them depends more on them than it does on us. So when we think about choosing a niche, think about it being people, validate that, and then remember that you have a responsibility to get them results. You have a responsibility to base your business around the people that you can serve at a high level and not take on a whole bunch of other people where it's experimental and, and they're basically paying you to learn on the job, right? When you get that first niche right, it positions you to jump into bigger niches, bigger opportunities. But start with the right people first, the ones that you are equipped to serve at the highest level, right? And then just keep your antenna up. There's always new opportunities. There's always, uh, you might find that just the niche that you're in just keeps on growing. Or you might find that you need to break out of that and add another dish, that's fine, right? But once you establish yourself and you serve that first group of people and you serve them well, that positions you for all the good things to come, right? So that's why I'm encouraging you, you know, don't run before you can crawl. Choose that first niche of 10,000 people. Choose the ones that you can serve at a high level. Choose the ones where you're not having to learn on the job, where you know their market, you know their industry, you know the worries that keep them up at night, you know the conversation going on in their head, you know what their own clients and customers are like, you know that industry. Focus on those areas, though that like that group of people first. Get yourself established. You can probably grow to multi-six and maybe into the seven figures in that very first space of 10,000 people. Then you keep your antenna up and you look around for the next opportunity. Is it to go bigger? Is it to grow the existing niche you're already in? Is it to go laterally and just add another niche and target another industry in parallel to the one that you already have? Those are all options. I go into all of that in the Microfamous book because once you have that, what I would call a home base established, right? That leadership position with a smaller group of the right people that puts you at the top of a hill, right? Then you can kind of look around and see what other hills you might want to go out and go conquer. And you can see which ones are already occupied and which ones are not right. The easiest hill to conquer is the one that doesn't have somebody that's already the king of the hill, right? So think about that. Think about the people that are underserved, neglected, being misled. They feel left out. They feel ignored. Go find those people the ones that you can serve, that you're the best equipped to serve, that nobody else is, and start with them, right? Learn to crawl before you run. So that's what I've got for you today. Hopefully that was helpful. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for sharing the show, leaving a review, all that fun stuff, and we'll see you on the next episode.